Hey, well, good morning, everybody. That was pretty solid. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church, and this is my friend Adam Nagel, who's the executive director of the Factory Ministries. Woo! There it is. There it is. There it is. I'm excited. I'm here just for a moment. I'm going to sit down because I'm excited to have Adam share with us this morning. Adam has been at the factory for a couple of years now, right? Two years, two solid years. Amazing work. Uh, just great job at the factory and such transition you've helped lead through. So grateful for you, Adam, mm -hmm. and what you do with your team. Um, and you also have some activities coming up this month. I think yep. May 20 is a homecoming yep. event. Yep. And if you don't know about that, it's an opportunity to get connected with the factory. But Adam, I'm grateful to have you here. Thank You're you. a friend of Grace Point Church. Need very little introduction, which is why I'm about to sit down. Adam, thank awesome. you for being here. Look forward to having you share <laughs> thank with you, us. Thank you, Tim. Good morning. Thank you guys so much for having me here today. How cool is this? I, Tim, uh, I got together with Tim this week, and he says, hey, by the way, I've been here a number of times over the last uh, two, three years, and, and Tim says to me t this week, hey, FYI, when you get here, there's going to be a whole new environment, um, so, and you're the first one to step into that. So how cool is that? Uh, it's kind of fun. I'll take this opportunity. That Tim mentions the homecoming. The homecoming is also has to do with some of our changing environment. One of the things we say at the factory is to me say, way to go in this space. Beauty, we say this a lot at the factory, beauty is on par with food and shelter when you're serving the poor. It is on par. Most people don't, it, it's just, it's environment is so important. Nature tells us that. So I don't want, I could preach a whole message on that. I won't go there. So way to go in this space. I love it. It was fun to walk in here today. Homecoming coming up May 20th. You guys want to get to know the factory, get to see the transition and the changes that's happening May 20th. Uh, Tim mentioned that. Second thing I'll say, I just want to give a big thank you to Tim, uh, his leadership, and this church. Uh, yesterday, I got to go to a ribbon cutting at uh, Kitchen Kettle Village. Uh, they just opened up a thing called Mom's Pretzels, where the proceeds of that are coined to a, a charity in the community um, every month. They're going to be giving that away. So we happened to be there first, and so we went to do this ribbon cutting. And we were surprised when we got there, because Pequay Valley then gave us another gift uh, of $5,000 to say thank you. Um, for the impact that we have in the community. Uh, they gave that gift because of the prom. How many of you guys were, uh, saw the pictures or caught it on News 8? Any of you guys see that, the prom? That was absolutely amazing. Uh, and because that unfolded in the way it did, Kitchen Kettle said to Pequay Valley, hey, we'd love for you to pay this forward, so they paid it forward to us. So I was, they called me up on stage. I wasn't expecting this at all. So I get up on stage, and they present this check, and then they hand the mic to me. It's one of those moments where I'm like, I didn't know what to say. <clears throat> but as I reflected on it driving away and as I was driving here this morning, what I can say is the work that this church has done through the leadership of Tim played a huge role in us standing in that position yesterday to receive that check. The partnership, the collaborative nature in this community is second to none uh, than any other community, and this church plays a huge piece in that. So, Tim, thank you for your leadership. It is fun to be the, <laughs> to receive the, the fruits of that in a lot of ways. I wasn't here to do all the hard work of laying the groundwork, but it's fun to receive the fruits of that. Okay, that's it. Here we go. Jumping in this morning, uh, this is kind of fun for me. I told Tim this morning, I, through COVID, I didn't get a lot of invitations to speak. Uh, so this is the first time, I think the last time I spoke was here, and Greg graciously pulled an eight-second eight clip out that shared with me something that I said that I wish I hadn't said. <laughs> and he pulled it out and shared it, and I was like, thank you. Um, so anyway, so I'm hoping I'm, uh, some of that rust is knocked off, but I am back. And one of the fun things about speaking, um, I used to be a senior pastor. 
And when you get up, speaking week in and week out is one of the hardest things to do. Not for a lot of the reasons that you may think, but there's a lot of reasons it's a very difficult thing. Um, now that I'm not doing that, one of, the, one of the joys that I have is when I get to stand up and speak, I either am going to places that don't know the factory, so I get to talk with excitement for half an hour about all that we do, which I love doing, or when I come to a place like Grace Point, where you guys know a lot about the factory, I'm here, I'm, I'm in and out, and Tim, obviously, and Greg, and your teens, and many of you volunteer there, so when I get to come here, one of the, my favorite things, is I get to talk to you, and a lot of ways with things that God is speaking to me on. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. What I want to share with you is something that I have been processing over the last four years. So a lot of ways what I did is I just sat down and pulled some pages out of my journal um, that just have really been processing and kicking around. I want to talk to you about what it means to die to self. Die to self. Now, this is a crucial subject. As we look at the last, uh, tw- last year, last 12 months, look at the COVID and look at the reaction of the church and across America. And I'm so grateful for the um, true or false uh, uh, work that Tim is stepping into with uh, Scott Feather uh, coming up in next Saturday. Next Saturday. Um, I've not always been excited. <laughs> with the response that the church collectively in America has had towards this past year. And what what has grieved me as I've stepped back is I see a lot of demanding of rights. I see a lot of of self-absorbed thinking. And as I got stirred up about it over this past year, and I'd sit with my therapist and he'd say, and and I'd really walk over and I'd say, well, Adam, (laughs) it's your story. Why get so worked up about it? How worked up do you get about it in you? So I stopped and thought about it. I said, you know what? It is very true. Dying to self when we're put through a difficult season is hard to do. We have this natural, innate thing inside of us that wants to stand up and defend and fight and say, that's not right, and you can't do this, and I deserve this. And and it just really is not um, the way Christ asked us to journey. So I want to talk to you about kind of what it means to die to self this morning, kind of share my journey. Start with this. Let's kind of set the stage this way. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that eternity is written on your heart and my heart. There's this innate human reality that we understand that there is more to life than what we are living today. In some way, all that's, all that's unraveling around us comes together to form this larger picture. More than that, the scriptures teach us that we are created in the image of God. You. If you're here this morning, if you're listening online, and you, you'd say, well, I'm, I'm a Jesus follower. Maybe you say, I don't even sure God exists. Maybe you say, I hate God. Or maybe you say, I'm a flat-out atheist. It doesn't, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you have this innate reality that you understand there's more to life than here and now, and you're created in the image of God. One of the things that comes to bear on us because of that is inside of us, we sense greatness. We sense that we're a part of an arc of a story that is far bigger than anything we can get our heads around. And we feel this call outside of us to something great and grand. But if you're like me, (laughs) we don't step towards it. Or if you're like me, (laughs) at times we get afraid because as I look at my life, I realize I'm doing nothing but living a mediocre life. You see, the reason I think we're drawn to mediocrity is because it's in mediocrity that I'm accepted. 
As I stood in the back, I'll be honest, I, I, was, I stood back there intentionally saying, so some of you were coming in and loved this room. I heard some comments of you walking that weren't so fond of this room. To step out and lead and do something is going to take, you're going to take shots. So a lot of us sit back and just stay mediocre because I don't want to take shots. But then we have this craving inside of us that says, but no, wait a minute, I feel called to something bigger and greater and greatness outside of me, and we don't know what to do with this tension. More than that, we look at greatness in our society, and we see athletes that pound their chest, and we see business leaders, and we see um, artists in Hollywood, and we say, no, wait a minute, well, that's not greatness, that's, and, and what is greatness? So I want to talk on this way, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I don't have slides today, I'm very sorry, don't have slides, wanted to use these cool new TVs, last time I was here they had a screen here, but I apologize for those slides. Grab the Bibles in the seats in front of you, um, find Matthew, you're going to flip towards the middle to back of your Bible, you're going to see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or the, the, the other letters around, uh, books around that, or grab your phone, go on to version or whatever else is there, find Matthew chapter 16. I want to talk about this tension. What is greatness? How do we grab greatness? How do we avoid mediocrity? And Matthew chapter 16, here, I'll give you in a nutshell what I want to, there's a lot we can pull out of Matthew chapter 16, but I am only going to grab the greatness God has for me if I die to self. If I don't die to self, I'm never going to attain the greatness that God has for me. Matthew chapter 16, let's start at verse 13. I'm not going to read it to you, I want to set the stage here. And there's a lot, we could, this is one of my favorite passages, we could stay in Matthew chapter 16, I could come back next week and the following week and the following week, we could never exhaust, I think, Matthew chapter 16. One of the greatest promises made that Jesus, it's a, it's a prophecy that's going to come true. So he's gathered around with his guys, and he asks them a question, he says, hey, who do people say that I am? Let's have a conversation, guys. So they begin to say, well, some say it's John the Baptist. Some say it's Elijah. You know, some say you're a prophet. So Jesus shifts the conversation. He looks at him and says, well, guys, how about you? <laughs> Who do you say that I am? Now, Peter, I relate to Peter, but Peter's kind of the spokesman of the group. Peter opens his mouth quick and fast. He's a verbal processor we see in scriptures. He just boldly declares, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, Jesus looks back at him, and Jesus says, well said. Well said, Peter. Well said. And then he says, it's on you, Peter, on you, this rock, that I'm going to build my ecclesia, church is the word we use, but I like the term ecclesia because it's, when we say church today, we think of what we're doing here on Sunday morning. That's not the word that Jesus used. Jesus used a secular word. It wasn't a sacred word. It was a called out group of people living on mission. Kind of like we'd say of our local firefighters. They're called out towards a mission. They're collecting together to do something. It's an ecclesia. So I'm going to build my church, Peter. I'm going to build it on you. And then he says this. Now, capture the terms of greatness. You want to look at them with me. Capture the terms of greatness. Look at verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, look at, look at the terms of greatness, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So on you, Peter, I'm going to build this thing. Now, there's a lot of discussion of what does that really mean. Especially my Catholic friends will have all kinds of this guy. I love converse, conversing with them on that passage. 
for another time. But look what he says, on you, I'm going to do something great, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Nothing will stand in the way of what I'm going to do through you and what we are going to build together. Greatness, it's stated all over here. Now look, continue reading. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now when you give someone the keys, what does it mean? I have two drivers in my household. One's 18, one's 16. When I throw them the keys, what am I doing? <laughs> Praying hard, right? <laughs> that too. We have, new, we have some new associates starting the factory. We gave them a key fob. In essence, what are we saying to them? We trust you. You have authority. You're on the team. I'm handing you authority, Peter. I'm giving this to you. And now look at what he says. This is mind-blowing. This is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Look what he says. The rest of verse 19. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. <laughs> that is profound. I am God. And I'm telling you, I'm giving you keys. I'm giving you authority of the kingdom of heaven. You are on my team. You're a leader on my team. And we're going to do this thing together. And your decisions that you make will be binding. That is amazing. That is greatness. God is calling up out of Peter something profound. It is significant. Now, the very next thing he says is, is, is makes me scratch my head. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. <laughs> I'll let Tim cover that verse, because to this day I don't understand that. I'm like, didn't Jesus come to, to save people? Didn't Jesus come to, to declare and bring the kingdom of heaven? Why on earth does he not want people to know who he is? It just, especially at this point. So, Tim, that's all you. Verse 21, it goes on, from this time on, so remember, think of the context, I'm going to build my church, the gates of Hades will not overcome it, from this time on, and when you look at all the other gospel accounts, Jesus from this point forward starts to focus on what you're going to read right here. He focuses on it very clearly. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Now, Peter, <laughs> this is, this is, this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, Lord, come on, we're going to do this thing. No, 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 no. It's no. We aren't going to go die. We're, you just told me. You just gave me the keys of the kingdom. Like, no. You can't have this happen. Jesus, verse um, 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I think there's an indication here that Peter heard greatness like we hear greatness called out of us, but we don't understand what that greatness really entails or what it is. And Jesus says, you don't yet get it. Just sit down and be quiet. Then he, then he turns to all of them and says this, and Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, 
He must what? Turn, turn to your neighbor and say this next word. Deny yourself. Go ahead. Just tell the person beside you. Right? Deny yourself. We ha I hate that. I hate that. When I read that, I'm like, no, Jesus, come on. Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What does it do if you get everything and in the end have nothing? What has it done for you? For the Son of Man, verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angel. Here's this greatness picture again. He's going to come with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. One of the lessons that I've learned is I've thought about greatness and what God's called out in me. I will only grow to the threshold of my pain. You will only grow in whatever it is that you're chasing and pursuing to the threshold of your pain. In other words, I've, I've had a consultant say it to me this way, Adam, in your leadership, what, what are you willing to be punished for? Answering that question will determine just how far your leadership will go. There's a ceiling where you finally hit a point that says, I cannot suffer anymore. I think Jesus gets this. And Jesus says, well, let's push beyond the threshold and let's talk about dying. He literally says to him, pick up your cross. Greatness is on the other side of pain. Now, when he says cross, pick up your cross, you and I hear that and we think of a necklace, maybe, or a tattoo that you've seen on someone's arm. I was watching Law and Order this week, didn't realize Elliot, uh, Elliot Stabler, you know, the classic cop from Law and Order, has a big cross tattooed his arm. And I was like, well, look at that. That's what we think we hear cross. We hear jewelry, we hear body image, we hear um, ornate, we don't have any in this room, but ornate fixtures in a room, in a religious setting. But in this context, when Jesus turns at them and says, deny yourself and pick up your cross, what did they hear? What was the cross in the first century? It was a Roman torture device. So what's going through their mind? What are they hearing? Don't hear it through our lens today. Just step back and, and think of cross. Cross is that thing that you were probably whipped before you hung on it. You were nailed to it. And oftentimes you, you, were, you hung naked or with just a loincloth at best. And as you hung with your arms outstretched, oftentimes the, the death did not come from the loss of blood or it did not come from the horrendous pain. It came through suffocation. Because you had to constantly, the way you hung, your body would hang and soon you couldn't breathe. So you'd have to pull yourself up to get that air into your lungs. That's what they're hearing Jesus say, pick up your cross. So I journaled in my journal over the last couple years. Here's some of the words that I wrote down. When I hear, when they, I think when they heard cross, they heard this, official opposition. 
This wasn't a mob. Jesus didn't just get taken over by mob rule. When you went to the cross, the government was saying, outlaw, outside. So official opposition. I think they would have heard shame, horrendous shame. Can you imagine hanging naked, whipped and beaten, and for everyone to watch you die? Struggling for hours on end? Mocking and calling, calling names at you? Horrendous shame, suffering, helpless. There's nothing more helpless than being nailed to a cross. You can do nothing. You can't move. You are stuck. The end has come. I think of failure. The reason failure came to my mind is probably my, I'll, as I close today, I'll, I'll give you some of my own story and why this means a lot to me, but... In other words, they failed because they didn't attain what they, maybe their goals were to attain, or maybe they're hanging there now as an outcast, and it's a dishonoring to the family, or, or they've failed. And it certainly meant death. Every word I just mentioned, <laughs> I work really hard to avoid. And I would take a step in the dark if we walked around this room today and said, unless you're a masochist, how many of you are chasing those words? Like, you're like, yes. I want to be the most shameful human being that's ever lived. I want to suffer horrendous pain. We avoid these things. I think Jesus knew that. As I think about my life, and I think about your life, and I think about the people I've walked with and the people that I love and I journey with, so much. Just let me give you some of the things that I think that have formed in us as a result of us avoiding those words. Our habits and addictions. Most of our habits and addictions, what stand behind them is the avoidance of those words I just mentioned. The things that you smoke or the things that you inject or the things that you eat or the things that you cannot put down and not touch are often the avoidance of pain. I think of humor. Some of you are incredibly funny people. And again, I want, as I go through this list, these things aren't all bad. <laughs> but it's the things we begin to use. Humor. I, some of the funniest people in life have some of the deepest and darkest past that you have ever heard. And it's, it's become their salvation, if you will. The thing that they've used to avoid all those things that I mentioned. I think of anxiety. Anxiety, it's very, it has a number of things at its core, but ultimately it has control at one level or another. It has this sense of power or feeling responsible for life. Anxiety is fast. When you feel anxious, it comes quick. Grief is slow. You can't grieve when you're anxious, because you're going so quick. I think of our, our health and our body image and our fashion. I think of our good works and our service. I think of perfectionist. I think of the peacekeeper. I think of anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. And oftentimes anger rises up because I didn't have a voice growing up or I felt zeroed out or I'm simply trying to avoid my pain. 
And I'm not even in touch with my pain, and out comes this flash of anger. I think of depression, turning pain in on me. I think of good work and working hard. I think of lying. I think of mine painstakingly educating. It's, it's a personality trait. I remember my wife and I took a personality thing one time, and one of the descriptions of mine, my personality was, he painstakingly educates. Now, I laugh at that, <laughs> but I had a friend sit with me one time and said, Adam, I noticed in leadership settings, this was years ago, I noticed in leadership settings, when tension gets high, you often make a comment about an expert. Well, Jim Collins says, blank, blank, blank. When I stopped and thought about that after a while, I'm like, that's, that's because I felt stupid growing up. And gosh darn it, I get into these tense moments, I'm going to pull out the heavy hitters and say, hey, I'm not alone in this. That's avoidance of pain. It's some good. Now, these things I list aren't all bad, but they're saving us. And they stand in the way of what God's called us to. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross. So how do I do it? I'd say, look at what Jesus did. Jesus pulled his closest friends to him. He cried, he wept, he sweat blood. He was in so much pain. In other words, I would say, enter your humanity. Jesus was human. Jesus named what he was facing. He says it right here in this passage. This is what I have to do. He names it. He knows why. He faced it and he felt it. Learn to feel. The last four years, I have had, that has been the, the, my journey, just learning to stop and feel. I had a friend say to me about five years ago, Adam, you don't know how to grieve. I think you don't know what you're talking about because I cry all the time. He said, crying is not grieving. Grieving is when you give value to something and then say, I have to let it go. That person that's died, you gave, you, they were of value to you and you are now letting them go. The job that you had was of value to you and you are now letting it go. The hopes and dreams that you had for your kids, they were served of great value, and you've got, that's grieving. He says, you don't know how to do that. So Jesus, he just entered his humanity. He felt it. He stepped in. He grieved. It's my challenge to us, church, is learn how to just be present with the pain. Second thing I'd say is thank the law. Galatians 3.24 says the law was a tutor. All of those things I reference are things that we begin to do. They're things that we begin to do to get us out of something, to save us. And they're all good. But they all have an end, just as the law did. The law was good, but it had an end. So learn to thank it. Learn to look in the mirror and say, thank you, anxiety. Thank you, panic attack. Thank it. Be genuinely grateful for it because it saved you. It saved you from the trauma of a dad that abused you. It saved you from the trauma. It saved you from all kinds of stuff. Say thank you. Say thank you to the law. Say thank you to the things that you've done to avoid. And then the final thing I'd say is Galatians 2, 16 to 20. I don't have time to go to it this morning, but read it this week. Galatians 2, verses 16 to 20. Identify with the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. 
I no longer live, but he lives within me. I am crucified with Christ. So as I end, let me wrap up, close and pray. You're called the great. It's inside of you. It's wired in us all. For me, I've avoided failure. I try to avoid failure. I lived with this motto, failure is not an option. I ran my whole life that way. But what I began to realize is when I'm living a story that's bigger than my own, failure just makes the story interesting. It's a plot twist, if you will. I don't need to fear failure. I challenge us to die to self, and when you die to self, you can go where only dead men travel. When you die to self, you can cut fear and insecurity right out of your life. You stop grappling with, with mediocrity because you're like, you know what? I'm dead. I don't need to pick these things up to save me. I'll end with this thought. I'll come full circle to what I just thanked you guys for in this space. Beauty is powerful. Nature. Think of it this way. Many of you have summer plans already formed. If you, if we took time today to turn to the people around you and say, where are you going this summer? And then we had time to just share with everyone. Where are you going this summer and why are you going there? Most of us are going to the mountains, to a lake, to an ocean. You pick a place. It's often drawn out into nature. Do you realize we're going to go to upstate New York to a 10-mile lake, a lake where my wife and I met each other. Our cabin is literally right on the water. When I come out in the morning and I stand, I, I can already picture because I lived there for a few years of my life. I can already, when I come out in the morning and I stand at the cool, I feel the cool water, and there's a slight mist that forms on the water and as the sun slowly comes up and peeks over the mountains, it'll, the heat of the day begins to burn that mist off. When I look off at the mountains, what am I feeling in that moment? What is happening to me in that moment? I'm being drawn outside of myself. Romans chapter 1 says nature and creation points to a God and his invisible, magnificent powers and qualities. The mountain is always humble. Always. The lake is always humble. What it is doing, it is, it, is, it is, I'm entering a presence of a story and a picture that's so much bigger than mine, and it's pulling me outside of myself, and it's, and it's pointing me to see something that I'm wired to see because I'm created in God's image, and I understand that eternity is written in my heart, and I'm a part of something far bigger than what I'm living today. And all of that creation is pointing me to that. It's what we crave. It's what we want. Our path forward is to resemble that mountain. To say Adam is always humble. Because Adam has died to himself. He's picked up his cross. And therefore, everything that he is living from this point forward is reflecting something greater than himself. He doesn't need to pound on his chest and demand his rights because he is showing and reflecting something far bigger, and we are drawn to that. It's why my kids loved when Iron Man passed away at the end of the Marvel series. 
That's why when I showed my kids Titanic, then regretted it later because there's some raunchy scenes in there I didn't realize, forgot about. But when you see Jack, whatever his name was, slide off into the ocean, our hearts are drawn because they give up themselves. We love it. So I ask you, as I close in prayer, you will only grow to the threshold of your pain. Where is your limit? What is it that you are using to save yourself, to insulate and mask and hold back? And what is it going to take to step into that thing and pick it up and die to it? Because you want it, and the world around you needs it. Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for Tim and Greg and Kevin and the other leaders and all the, those that call this place home. God, they're bringing greatness to bear in this community. I see it regularly. I saw it yesterday as I stood there and received that check and was so blessed. That has been years of work put in of saying, how do we love our neighbor? How do we not be about ourselves? How do we die to us and the dreams and the visions, these small thinkings that we have, but be a part of something bigger? Thank you for that presence here in this community. Would you encourage Tim and speak to his heart? And Greg and the leaders here, would you help them to be courageous people that say, we have died, and because death is behind us, we can go where only dead men go. God, for each person sitting here in this room, we avoid pain, and some of us have lived horrendous pain. There's been abuse, abandonment, neglect. Small pain and big pain. God, it's very real. God, I don't read in this passage you saying to us, ha, pain's not a big deal. God, I read in this passage, here's your way through. Here's how to walk through pain because you're part of something so much bigger. God, would you be with those in this room that ache and that hurt? God, this has been a long process for me. We don't just one day die to self. God, help us to be courageous and bold people that daily say, I need to give this up because it's saving me. And there's only one person on earth and in the universe that can save me, and his name is Jesus Christ. And in him, I, I am crucified and I am risen to life. And we hold on to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.